Lord. Give us wisdom and understanding when it comes to prayer. May we not be ignorant nor lazy in the arena of prayer. Help me, Lord, to teach this accurately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this is lesson three on prayer, and we're calling uh, this one the different kinds of prayer, part two, and we're going to cover uh, the, the prayer of petitions and giving of thanks. Last week we covered uh, the prayers of intercessions, groanings, and travailings, uh, and one of the things we've been saying is that prayer is needful to understand, but not all prayer is the same. All of prayer, all prayer is, is a tool where we communicate with God and process His will on the earth, but not every tool is the same, and not every tool does the same thing. And so we are covering these different kinds of prayers so you can understand why maybe if you, if you pay attention, when you're even praying by the Spirit of God in English, it comes out differently. Uh, in the end, we just want you to pray, but it's always, it's always more helpful when you understand how to better use the hammer or how to better use the socket, and that you shouldn't use the socket wrench to hammer something with. And you probably shouldn't use a hammer to, uh, I don't know, maybe crack an egg or something. You use a different kind of tool. And so we cover these things for our edification, but also so we're just knowledgeable in the things of God and we know how to cooperate with, with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit says intercede and you go and grab a socket, that, that's not so much cooperating. But uh, we want to study these things. The other thing we've said over and over again, and this is probably one of the more controversial topics or subjects, in the arena of prayer, is that prayer in your mind is not prayer. Prayer in your mind is not prayer. When we teach in the jail ministries with the curriculum we've written specifically for the jail, we have the two most controversial subjects we teach on in the jail and prison ministry. Uh, no surprise, number one is submission. Prisoners don't like the subject of submission because they're in prison. And our folks have to point out, you know why you're in prison? Because you're lame at submitting. And that always goes over like a lead balloon. And the other thing that we always stir up trouble with is when we start telling these folks who are criminals doing life sentence on installment plans that when you pray, it should be with your mouth. And they want to debate you on that. And so you want to tactfully say, since when are you the expert? You're the criminal wearing court-ordered britches, eating court-ordered food, sleeping and going pee-pee when the court permits you to. And you want to debate with us on the Bible subject. Now that you can't say all that because they're the ones in prison and you're locked in there with them. But it goes to stand even religious folks. They don't like to hear this fact that prayer is with the mouth. From Genesis to Revelation, you study the Bible. You find only one example in the entire Bible where somebody prays quietly. And that is Hannah. We've covered this previously. But the Bible says Hannah's mouth moved, but no sound came out. And when the high priest, Eli, the anointed one, saw her praying, he thought she was drunk. So it even struck him as not proper. And he said, why are you a daughter of Belial? Why are you wicked like this? And she said, I I'm trying, but out of the abundance of grief in my heart, I, I poured out my heart. And she said, I, I just I want a baby. And when he realized that it was a, a God thing, and the only one in the whole Bible like this, he said, well, may the Lord grant you your request. Furthermore, you look at the life of Jesus. How do we know what his prayers were? Because they were spoken. How do we know what any of the prayers were? Because they were spoken. Mark, uh, Luke eleven two, 2, Jesus teaching us the, the Lord's prayer. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Now, and we could certainly argue, well, the Lord knows our heart. Yes, he does. He knows what we have need of. Yes, he does. But it doesn't change the fact that authority is exercised and authority is demonstrated through words. 
You can hope all day long, but until you release it with your mouth, it's not prayer. Prayer without voice is just hope. Hope's great. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, though. So we cover that, and again, some people might disagree with me, but how do you cast out demons? You speak to them. How do you remove the mountain? Say to it. How do you remove the sycamine tree? Say to it. Uh, over and over again, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 14, uh, 4.13 says, We have the same spirit of faith. Speak. We believe, and therefore have we spoken. You can't escape this. And it, it just makes sense to me that if, if the power of God through prayer is released through our mouth, as the scriptures teach us, no wonder the devil will oppose that and talk Christians into what has commonly become contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is actually a medieval mystical asceticism, which basically means a bunch of monks, monks living in the desert trying to reach God some other way. And they develop what's called contemplative prayer, which is not biblical. It's actually New Age mysticism founded in about the 4th or 5th century by the monks. Where you sit and you just quietly empty yourself and let the Lord hear you. Yeah, uh, that's not in the Bible. In fact, the Lord told Job, answer me. Uh, I thought you knew my heart. Answer me. <laughs> Anyway, it's amazing, amazing how religion creeps in and dries the church up. So in this lesson, we're going to cover two other types of prayer, petitions and giving of thanks. So let's jump in here with petitions or petitions and supplications. They're the same thing. But uh, petitions and supplications are prayers you make on behalf of yourself. Now that's in contrast to last week where we looked at intercession. Intercession usually is prayers you make on behalf of somebody else, right? You're interceding for them. Though there is an avenue of intercession where according to Romans 8, the Holy Ghost makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so uh, there is a place where you do intercede for us, but with groanings that cannot be uttered, it lets us know that the Holy Ghost doesn't want you to know what you're praying for yourself for. Because it might overwhelm you to realize how goofy you are that the Holy Ghost has to groan to get you out of your mess. <laughs> but here, in intercession, we can intercede for each other. But now we come to petitions and supplications. And this is specifically requests you make to God for yourself. That's what the Greek says. That's the understanding and definition. We're, we're, we're making uh, definitions here. We're splitting hairs because it's in the Bible for a reason. We should be able to understand it. This word means, in the Greek to request something that you really need. And it means prayer based on a need, lack, poverty, or privation. That's what this word supplication or petition means. And so uh, we need to understand this because sometimes in religious circles or sometimes uh, just through ignorance, we feel bad to ask God for things that we truly have need of. Now, of course, the other ditch is all you ever do is talk to God about what you need. I don't think we're necessarily there, but sometimes we can. But there's a proper place where you go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I have need of. If we don't cover this, you'll, you'll never ask the Lord to help you. When you're just as, poor, as important to the Lord as the next person is. You're just as important to the Lord as, as the heathen is important to the Lord. And you're just as much God's kid as your brother or sister in Christ is. So he wants to take care of your needs as well. We must realize God is our Father, and as a Father, He wants to take care of us. We cannot or must not be afraid to ask our Father for the things we have need of. Sometimes that's false humility. Sometimes it's ignorance. Sometimes it's immaturity. Sometimes it's timidity. Sometimes it's just being afraid of God. 
You need to realize that God wants you to be able to come into his presence and say, Lord, I have need of blank. And it ought to be help. I need, have need of help. I have need of wisdom. I have need of holiness. I have need of consecration. I have need of fixing my heart. And then there's the natural things you have need of as well. Look at 1 John 5, 15. We, we see some powerful verses on this word petition here. Uh, the Apostle John said, And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If we know that he hears us, and we know that he does, it, I find it almost disheartening. We have more confidence that God hears us when we sin in our heart than we believe he hears us when we pray with our mouth. And we get into condemnation, uh, not, not conviction. Conviction's good, but condemnation. We almost sometimes have more faith that God hears the sin in our heart more than he hears the requests of our mouth. Well, the good news is he hears both. Maybe the bad news is he hears both. <laughs> so we repent of the sin of our heart that we know he hears and sees, but then we come boldly into his presence to get grace to help in time of need. We need to be willing to go to his presence and say, Lord, I need help. Lord, I'm in a bad mood today. Lord, I want to quit today. Lord, I need help. I need strength. And learn to go to him and cry out to him. If you've never developed a lifestyle of going to him for help, he won't be the first one you turn to. Too many Americans, too many Christians, God is the last person they turn to. They turn to him when everything else is exhausted. That's somebody who's never learned to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's someone who's never learned to go to the Lord for help. With our little girls, they, their life is all about coming to us for help. They don't think about going to the neighbor. They don't think about going across the street. They don't pick up the phone. They don't go to the internet for help. They come to mom or dad first. And now that Abzi's learning more and more sign language, she's got help. The sign for help is this, and when you sign. So she looks at something, she's doing this constantly. It looks like clapping, and we understand baby sign language. This is not clapping, this is help. She doesn't do that to necessarily anybody but us because she's learned that we are her helpers. And we're teaching them to trust us and always come to us. And that's the same thing the Lord wants us to do to him. Trust him and always come to him and ask him things. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing. That means fret over nothing. Uh, in American English, we say be careful. You can get religious and say, no, the Bible says be careful for nothing. It's different meanings for the same word. Uh, you know, you can get religious and say, well, the Bible says be careful for nothing. I'm going to be reckless. No, the Bible doesn't say be reckless. It says be full of care. Over Modern English, quit freaking out. <laughs> quit stressing out. How do I not stress out, Paul? Uh, in everything by prayer... That's the general form of communication with God. And supplication, that's our same Greek word. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why do we freak out? Because there's a need that's going unmet. There's a need that's going unsupplied, and we're not sure how it's going to be taken care of. But Paul tells us here, if you will, go to the Lord in prayer and make that request known, that freak out impetus there. If you make that known to God, it'll bring peace to you and then thank him for it. So whatever your thing is that you freak out over or stress out over, go to the Lord about that. Uh, Dr. Sumrall used to say, wherever your head screams the loudest is where your faith is the weakest. And that would be the place you ought to go talk to the Lord the most about. You know, in school, uh, you, you know, you've got four, five, six classes you're taking. Uh, math was probably my weakest subject out of everything I ever took, which is bad because most of science is based on math. 
Wherever you're weakest in school is where you ought to have the most help. You ought to be spending the most time with the professor or the tutor or the after-school help. Same in our Christian walk. And yet many of us, maybe all of us, our, our heart continues to scream the loudest in the same area because we have never learned to go to the Lord and fix that area where our heart screams the loudest, where our mind screams at us. I was telling uh, Brett, our missionary, he was talking to me about a problem he's having. And I said, well, Brett, here's how it works in ministry. Because, uh, you know, they're like baby missionaries and, and uh, growing up fast, and we're proud of them. I said, Brett, every minister is always going to deal with one of a few issues. It's either going to be family issues he's always dealing with. It's going to be integrity issues he's always dealing with. It's going to be his personal walk with God he's always dealing with. Or it's going to be money. And I said, in every minister, it's like those four things, every ministry, every personal preacher is going to have to get the victory over that. I mean, you could have great money, never have issues with money for ministry, never have issues with your family in ministry, never have issues maybe with integrity, but maybe you just can't even get a constant prayer life going or a constant Bible life. Or maybe you've got a great Bible life, great prayer life, but you're always struggling getting the finances for ministry. Until a minister gets with God and gets that thing sorted out, that will be his limiting uh, effect, his limiting factor. And now you may not be called to the ministry, but your life is going to revolve around the same issue. You'll only go as far as that weak area in your life. That will be the thing that always cripples you. That's the area. I'm not talking about just material needs because that's easy for God. He can command birds to feed Christians. He can get you the stuff. What he can't get you is the fixed heart unless you want it. So the biggest thing we ought to be talking to the Lord about is the need within us to fix our heart. Our, you know, our heart concerning money, our heart concerning our family, our heart, whatever your thing is, our heart concerning our self-image, our heart concerning our lust or our, our uh, sensual appetites. We're going to have to talk to the Lord about that. Otherwise, your life will always be defined by the blowout of the same weak tire in the race. It's always that back right tire. How about quit patching the thing and just get a new one? Well, I have to pit stop to do that. Yeah, how much time have you spent not pit stopping? So we need to be willing to go to the Lord and stop stressing out over these things and go to the Lord and make our requests known and speak to him about this need we have that's uh, uh, based on lack and poverty or privation. Our, our physical needs are easily supplied by God. But the heart need, that's a harder thing for the Lord to deal with. It was easy for the Lord to provide for Elijah. Go to the brook Cherith. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. And the brook to give you water. And he did. Then go to the widow's house. I've commanded a woman to take care of you. No problem. Uh, everybody obeyed God in the life of Elijah except for Elijah. Because then he gets on that mountain and says, well, Elijah, why are you here? Go here. I don't want to. I'm all alone. It's, it's so lonely. I'm the only one left. He would never talk to the Lord about those issues in his heart. He would never fess up. When you study the life of Elijah, he's really good at lying and making excuses. And he gives the same lies and the same excuses over and over again in Second, uh, 1 Kings 18 and 19. And the Lord says, you know, what's your deal? I am the only one left. You, you just met uh, Ahab's right-hand man who said he, he's got 100 prophets hidden that he's feeding with bread and water from the king's table. You're not the only one left, liar. Nobody, the whole nation's turned against you, Lord. You just led a revival. Everybody repented. They cut the heads off their prophets. I don't think they're against you anymore, Lord. You're a liar. He would not go to the Lord and fess up. He kept giving his excuses why he was justified 
and being out of the will of God. Natural needs were easy, but God's dealing with the prophet himself was more difficult. As Pastor Akwoku taught us, everything in creation obeys God except for man. <laughs> Let your requests be made known unto God. Petitions and supplications are prayers we pray based on a personal need and desire. These are biblical prayers. There's nothing wrong with asking the Lord for what you have need of. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, you certainly can get in a ditch when every time you go to prayer, it's all me, 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 me. That is an unhealthy ditch, and we come back and balance that. But uh, we're covering this portion that there's a time in prayer to let your request. That's what the scripture says. Let your requests be made known unto God. Too many Christians are afraid to ask God for things. And I've witnessed to them. I've prayed with them, prayed for them. They say, well, I just don't want to bother the Lord with that. Now, you do understand what the term infinite means, right? And omnipotent and omnipresent. It's not like there's a long queue and now, welcome to Verizon. Your call time will be 15 minutes. You're currently 75 in line. That's not the Lord in prayer. His hand is not slack. He's not Ma Bell with a thousand post-World War II operators pulling plugs and reconnecting you. Uh, I think it's an ignorant, falsely humble statement to say, I just don't want to bother him. Well, he doesn't want you to suffer at your own hand any longer. Get some help. <laughs> James 4.2, you lust. That's not just sexual, though it can be. And you have not. You kill Notice James is calling his church there a bunch of murderers. That doesn't exactly sound like lovey-dovey talk, but that is good preaching. And you desire to have and you cannot obtain. First uh, John says, you, if you hate, you're a murderer. That's why he can say you kill. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Notice that those that don't go to the Lord with their requests, they turn into murderers and warmongers and killers and fighters because jealousy creeps in. They're no longer trusting the Lord. They're no longer believing God's going to take care of them. Now they're getting jealous because God's taking care of somebody next to them. And so then they start operating in manipulation and self-pity. They start fishing for compliments and fishing for gimmicks. And the Bible says, James says, just, just make your request known. Just ask. You have not because you ask not. And if you have not because you ask not, you got nobody to blame but yourself, right? So you can't be jealous of anybody. They have it because they're asking for it. You can't be mad at anybody because they've got it because they're asking for it. You have to blame yourself. When's the last time you got mad at yourself for not doing better? When's the last time you got jealous of yourself for not doing better? And just said, straighten up. It's amazing how the world, the flesh, and the enemy turns us against each other and we, we want to stab the successful Christian in the back because we're too lazy to climb up ourselves and obey God. Amen. It's awfully humbly quiet this morning. I didn't even think I'm really stomping on anybody. I'm just teaching on prayer. Uh, prayer is the avenue by which we obtain the things that we need from our Heavenly Father. As he said there, give us this day our daily bread. God expects us to come to him with our needs. He's never too busy to help us. Now again, all of this is, is hinged upon the fact that you're praying in line with the will of God. If you can't even pay your mortgage, God is not going to give you some fancy TBN kind of watch. He's not interested in that. If you can't pay your $100 car payment, why are you even talking, Lord, about some lavish car you can't even spell? 
We're talking about basic Christianity, boots on the ground Christianity, being a good steward and being a representative of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people are frustrated because their faith is too bigger, is bigger than their common sense. Or perhaps their dreams are bigger than their faith is. Yeah, no, uh, one man of God said, uh, why don't you first believe God just to make your budget? I might add, why don't you believe God to have a budget? You know, a lot of the stress we put on ourselves is because we're irresponsible. We violate wisdom. Wisdom says have a budget. We violate wisdom, and because we violate wisdom, we put ourselves in a hurt, and then we get jealous, and we want to kill and stab each other because they operate in wisdom, and I don't. It's their fault that I don't operate in wisdom. I like what it says of Noah. By faith, he condemned the world. When you operate in faith, you will always condemn those that don't by your own success in obeying God. And if you're condemned, it may be because you haven't activated the faith of God in doing the word of God. Uh, you know, when you, when you work out and you think you're good at working out and then the huge guy comes in next to you and he grabs with one hand what you do with two hands, you're condemned. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, I used to work out at Tech, you know, I'm over here, you know, warming up with 135 and then the big guys come in. And they grab 135 with one hand, 135 with the other hand, and they start curling it, and then they start doing shoulder presses with it. And I'm over there um, looking at my barbell that I'm going to bench press 135 with, and they're doing 270, you know, free weights. I'm condemned <laughs> because they're good, <laughs> and I'm not. That's faith, in a sense. He's been faithful to the gym. It's faith. He's been faithful to eat his Wheaties. Uh, it's faith. And I've been playing games. I, don't, I can't get mad at him. I just got to say, you mean business and I don't. Amen. Trying to help you stay out of war and rumors of wars and all that. All right. Amen. God expects us to come to him with our needs. He's never too busy to help us. Look at John 16, 23 and 24. And in that day you shall ask me nothing, Jesus is telling his disciples. Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hither thereto you ask me, have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Notice there's a lot of things we do that the, that the Father may have joy. Uh, but here we can ask and receive things that our joy might be full. And the Lord, the Lord would rather have us walking in joy than stress and frustration. And as it says, be careful for nothing. You know, it's, uh, Proverbs says, the desire accomplished is pleasant to the soul. The Bible, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. There is a time to have patience and endurance while you're believing God for something. And uh, hope deferred will make the heart sick. But if you're fellowshipping with the Lord, believing God for whatever it may be, whether it's a baby, whether it's the job you need, whether it's to have the need supply, that endurance builds a faith and a character that trusts in God. The desire will come because Proverbs says, but when the desire comes, not if it comes, but when it does come, it is a tree of life. It will bring joy. The Lord wants our joy to be full. It's why he gave us the number two fruit of the Spirit, not just to eat, but to enjoy the fruit of joy because that's what he wants for our life. Now, that doesn't mean your life's perfect because real joy is full of joy even when you've been whipped and beaten and you're in chains at the midnight hour and singing praises because deliverance is coming. All right, I don't know if we're upsetting your word of faith doctrine that said, gimme, 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 my name's Jimmy, or 
<laughs> or, all right. I was, are we just this bored with prayers? Like every one of these Sunday schools, like, yeah, yeah, I know this. Seriously. And our life is how good in God? What are we doing? We can always gear down and do better. We can always press in. We can always win more lost. Yeah, yeah. See, these are tools the Lord's given us. Uh, you know, Mr. Will is an expert craftsman, and I inherited all of Scudder's tools. I got all these tools. I do nothing with them. I have every socket. I got every color socket. I open drawers. I got like every kind of wrench they ever made because Scudder collected them apparently, and, and he gave them to me before he went to Africa. You know what I do with them? Nothing. Say, man, I got a lot of wrenches. <laughs> and this is a, a robo wrench. And this is, I got like every size robo grip there is. And, and then I got, you know, those are socket wrenches. And the boy, they take forever to open. They take forever to close. And we have all these tools. We ought to be using them to do something for the kingdom. Amen. Amen. That's why he gave them to us. All right. It glorifies God to answer our prayers because he knows it brings us joy and he knows we will testify how our God took care of us. It always comes back to him. I prayed for healing and my baby got healed. I prayed for a job and my God gave me a job. There ought to be a demarcation between us and the pagans because we walk with God. There ought to be a sign that his hand is upon us that he supernaturally provides for us. That was the testimony of Israel coming through the Exodus. Uh, the, the, Rahab the harlot said, we heard how the God of Israel brought you out of the hands of the Egyptians and our hearts melted 40 years ago. Because they heard what the God of Israel was doing for Israel. And they said, we don't stand a chance. And Rahab said, I want in. The prostitute. The problem is if we're not exercising faith, if we're not praying, there's no demarcation between us and the heathen. We work just as hard as they do. We go just as not far as they don't. But if we would exercise our faith and pray, there would be a, a difference between us. Even as Moses said, Lord, accept your presence, go with us. Accept your grace, go with us. I don't want to go. I want there to be a difference between us and the heathen. What is that difference? Part of it is spending time in God's presence so that you come out filled with his presence. Uh, in, in geology, there's a, a, a mineralogical uh, characteristic called luminescence or phosphorescence. Uh, not tribal, uh, tribal luminescence work. Piezoluminescence, uh, fluorescence where something will fluoresce. Minerals fluoresce. You can... Uh, through uh, ultraviolet radiation, ultraviolet light, you can heat up the electrons of that mineral and cause it to glow in the dark. And it'll, it'll, depending on the mineral, depending on how strong your ultraviolet light is, you can make that mineral glow for a long time once you turn the light off. We used to go caving and I would take a strong ultraviolet, I think it was a long wave ultraviolet light, and I could make calcite stalactites glow for about 20 seconds in the dark. Just, you know, you, basically you charge this, the calcite with this black light, hippie light, pot growing light, but we use it for mineralogy. And you charge it and then you uh, open your eyes, shut the light off, open your eyes, and you can get that white stalactite to glow green. But the longer you hold that thing on there, the more light it gives off. Rubies fluoresce, diamonds fluoresce, all sorts of minerals fluoresce. You and I are supposed to fluoresce. The problem is some of us don't pray in between services. So we fluoresce while we're here. Oh, excited, glowing, and then uh, the service stops and And you're back to looking like every dead mineral in the community. 
So now we're, now we're pastoring. <laughs> now we're meddling. If we could pray every day, and this is elementary Christianity, if we could spend time supplicating, petitioning the Lord every day, we, we could keep ourselves charged up, vibrating with his power. You know, it's, it's a trippy thing, even for cavers, and when I can show them, I can make that stalactite glow. It's a sign and a wonder. I've never seen this before. Yeah, you've never seen a human being glow either. But we're supposed to. Moses did. He came off, had to put a bag over his head. Because he spent so much time in the presence of God, it freaked out God's people. And he had to put a bag over his head so they could even approach him. The Bible says now in the New Testament, we're supposed to take that bag off and actually have something under the bag. I think most Christians put the bag over their head now because we've got nothing to show. We just talk about what we got from behind the bag. Rather than spending time in God's presence, praying and seeking God and being filled with his presence every day. Even when you're going through hell and your mind is freaking out, petitioning the Lord will charge you up. It's time in his presence. It's time having his spirit minister to you, and it's time where his glory is rubbing off on you. But we spend too much time daydreaming. We spend too much time living in our mind. We spend too much time living like the world, trying to make ends meet by our own busy schedule. If, if you and I do not make time for prayer, the world will make sure we never do. If you and I do not carve out a, a, a swath of time to pray and seek God and to make it part of our habit, the world makes sure we never will. And the world isn't afraid of Christians that don't glow. There's no sign there. It's just a hunk of dirt, a hunk of rock. All right. Let us, uh, it glorifies God to answer our prayers because he knows it brings us joy and he knows we will testify how our God took care of us. Uh, our little girl Lydia, when she was nine weeks old, her legs broke out in varicose veins, which was a purely demonic attack. And so she's nine weeks old. We take her to the doctor. And the doctor says, this shouldn't be. And I said, duh, this is a nine-week-old, not a 99-year-old and nine-week-old woman. That My little girl should not have veins like this. This is something. And they kept getting worse. So we went into serious prayer, intercession, petitions. At that point, you don't care what it is. You don't care. You're not looking to split hairs over what kind of prayer it is. You just pray. And my wife and I prayed an hour to two hours every night for two months. Every night. We prayed every healing scripture in the Bible and just kept rotating it. And uh, the veins kept getting worse. And then I sought God and fasted and the Lord revealed to me it was a spirit of infirmity attacking my little girl. So we prayed against that demon for a month. And then all of a sudden we went to prayer one night. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, the demon's gone. All right. We change up prayer now. And uh, after two months, her legs were completely healed. So he took it back to the doctor, and the only bummer is the doctor is a Christian who believes in healing. So I couldn't testify. I said, I want you to look at my girl's legs. They're healed. She said, praise God. And I said, yep, we prayed healing scripture. She said, did you pray Isaiah 53? I said, you know we prayed Isaiah 53. <laughs> That's like the crux of healing scriptures. It's the apex. Uh, I wish I'd had a pagan doctor at that point. She's a good Christian woman. So she rejoiced with us. But see, we, we, we have these testimonies when we actually bother to supplicate and petition because your God can get you things the heathens can't get by their own hand or power. And it's supposed to make a difference in our life. So the, the world sees us and they're jealous of our God. And they say, I, like Rahab, I want to be with your God. Can you introduce me to your God? Can you, can you prepare something? 
What must I do to be saved? I'm glad you asked. Come here. Get on your knees. We're going to pray. You're a sinner. But my God wants to love you. Let us be thankful when he does answer our prayers. That brings us to thanksgiving. That isn't just turkey day. That is how our, our life ought to be every day. Thanksgiving is a type of prayer. The Bible's very clear on that. We often don't think about that, but it is a type of prayer. Thankfulness is an attitude pleasing unto God. A grateful heart goes a long way. Notice this is an attitude you can, like Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. You can have a thankful heart, and that's prayer without ceasing all day long. You, you know, you just, your heart's just thankful to be saved, thankful to be alive, thankful to be healthy, thankful to have a job. You just go on your, on your job, and your heart says, thank you. You don't even have to say anything. It's a thankful attitude. It's an attitude of worship and thanksgiving. Dr. Barclay says, as goes your attitude, so goes your life. That, that should speak to a lot of us. Where's the level of our life? It, uh, the attitude affects everything. Thankfulness is having a grateful attitude and a heart of appreciation. We've got a bunch of scriptures here to run through. Thankfulness will change your perspective. One thing for sure is you can't always change what you're going through, but you can change your attitude in the midst of it. And, and some people, you can give them the world and their attitude's so horrible, they'll find something to complain about. You give some folks a million dollars, they're upset they took taxes out of it. What was a free million bucks? Who cares if you had to take home 600,000? 600,000 more than you had before. Well, that's just not right. <laughs> uh, thankfulness will change your perspective. A couple weeks ago, we threw those slides up there just to show you amputees. You know, that one guy had no arms and no legs. You could see the scars. You look at that, you think, yep, my life is just fine. We showed you those beautiful Azidi girls, babies, infants in ISIS territory. You look at that, you say, yep, ain't got a problem in the world. I was, uh, I was talking with somebody recently about a problem, and, uh, and he said, you know, Pastor, these are what they call first world problems. As, in, as if to say, quit belly aching. First world problems. Thankfulness will change your perspective. We all get irritated when we drop cell phone calls. Oh gosh, it's so hard to say, recall. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I dropped you there. Some of us lose salvation over a, a dropped call. In the grand scheme of things, it's, it's nothing. Be thankful for what you do have. Don't complain about what you don't have. Uh, my pastor Darren used to say, to complain is to remain. He would also say, to, to confess is to possess. He was teaching on the 10 slanderous spies. And he'd say, to complain is to remain, but to confess is to possess. Confess the promised land, you possess it. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Thanksgiving is the necessary additive to make our supplication efficacious. Thanksgiving makes our prayers work. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I believe that you're going to do it because I ask and I know you heard me. Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Uh, more, we should be more thankful than we really are. Uh, wherever you find yourself in life, you ought to be thankful. Uh, in fact, we define uh, contentment as being joyful where you're at on the way to where you're going. Uh, sometimes you, you need to be where you're at so you can get more out of it. And also realize if you'll obey God, this is the last time you'll be here, if you obey God. If you don't obey God, you'll fail the test and get to take it again. 
The Bible tells us we are to abound in the faith with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will help your faith abound. Uh, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for saving my family. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the demand you put on my life. Thank you for the money you do bring me. Thank you, Father, for the food I do get to eat. Thank you, Father, for the car I do get to drive. At least it isn't a moped. At least it isn't a bicycle. At least I can drive a car. Thank you, Father, that there's a bus I can ride. Thank you, Father, that it's not full of murderers and rapists. Thank you, Father, I do live in Cookville, because thank God it ain't Chicago. Thank you. There's all sorts of stuff to be thankful for if you start. And at the same time, there's all sorts of things you can bellyache about if you want to. 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We're supposed to thank God for people. Thank you, Lord, for the friends you put in my life and for the leadership in my life. Thank you for our government. That's a hard one to pray right now. I thank you, Lord, for the next president, that he's a holy man of God, the right God, not the other little G God. Maybe I pray that way, thankfulness. <laughs> May his days be few and another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Uh, we probably, I don't know if we should pray that in Sunday school, but we do pray that on Wednesdays quite eff efficaciously, like we mean it. The Bible exhorts us to not only pray for leaders and people, but also to be thankful for them. We are commanded to intercede for them and to give thanks for them. Intercede for them and give thanks for them. Uh, it's easy to uh, love somebody when you tell the Lord thank you for them. Psalms 50, verses 14 and 15. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Notice thanksgiving and keeping your word to God allows him to answer you and deliver you in the day of trouble. Why didn't God answer me? Well, according to this verse, and we may not want to build too strict a doctrine out of it, but it is there in the Bible. According to this verse, if you want God to deliver you in the day of trouble, be thankful and, and do what you told him you would do. We still make vows in the New Testament, not in the prescription the Old Testament gives, but we do say, Lord, if you'll help me, I will, blank. Lord, if you deliver me, I promise you. That's a vow. But as Americans, we don't get vows because we break our word on everything. We say, I'll be there on time. We show up 30 minutes late, if at all. But the Bible still wants us to keep our commitment to the Lord. If you're going to lie to anybody, don't let it be God. Amen. Don't lie at all, actually. Thanksgiving is an offering. We can offer up thanksgiving when we have nothing else to give. If you lack money for an offering, offer up thanksgiving. Father, I have nothing to give you this morning in the offering, but thank you for the service. Thank you for the guest minister. Thank you, Father, for your presence. That's, that's a sacrifice. If you don't believe it, you've never met a prideful person. For prideful people, being thankful is a tremendous sacrifice. It costs them pride. And that's often more expensive than a million dollars. Thankfulness is just as powerful as money in the eyes of God. Thankfulness allows you to call upon God in the day of trouble. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalm 104. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Uh, that's why even, even when we're led by the Spirit of God and we're praying in tongues, sometimes the Lord, we just start thanking the Lord for stuff. The Bible says even of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, uh, verily thou giveth thanks well when you pray in tongues. So there's time in tongues when you're just giving thanks.
And apparently it's exactly what the Spirit of God is dictating the, Holy, uh, the God Almighty wants. So he prays through us in an unknown language to give thanks. That just lets us know how much the Lord wants to hear. You as parents do the same thing. You want to hear thank you from your kids. You want to hear thank you from your employees. We want to hear thank you because it's just godly. Not even a grunt on that? Amen, yeah. I'll be thankful when this Sunday school is over. <laughs> Thankfulness is the way we enter into God's presence. It's hard to come into God's presence, belly aching, griping, and complaining. But notice these verses. Let us come into before his presence with thanksgiving. One of the things that affects us as a church in worship is when people, when you and I, when we come here freaked out, when we come here stressed out, we come here heavy, we come here with a burden, that affects the worship service, that even affects the preaching, because what we're not coming in is thankful. We might, if we're going through a lot, we might even be coming in complaining against God. Why'd you let this happen, Lord? I don't understand, Lord. So you're not coming in saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I rejoice when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You're coming and going, well, I hope God can do something for me today. It sure is hard. I Instead of saying, praise God, I'm going to church. The Lord's going to help me. The Lord's always my help. Can't wait to get to the house of God. Sometimes it's our unthankful attitude that affects an entire service. And we got to realize we, we got to leave a lot of that junk and attitude in the parking lot. Really, we got to leave it in bed. Get up and rejoice and say, well, praise God, another day, he must love me. Yep, there's one more breath. I'm going to breathe 10,000 more of these today, maybe 20,000 if you uh, aren't in good shape. <laughs> and the Lord's given me these breaths to please him. Thankfulness is the way we enter God's presence. It's how we come into his gates. Thankfulness quickly ushers in the presence of God. He manifests where he is appreciated. Don't you like to hang out where people like you? No one likes to be where they are not wanted. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Maybe uh, this morning in service you're stressed out. It will be a sacrifice to praise God. It's easy to praise God when he answered your prayer yesterday. It's, t it's difficult to praise God when you're fighting an uphill battle. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice. It's the last thing you want to give. Because the first thing you want to give is bellyache, complaining, a heavy heart, a sad song. So Paul said in Hebrews, suck it up and give the sacrifice. <laughs> the sacrifice of praise to God continue. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. What is the sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips. I got no fruit to give. I got no money to give. But I can give him the fruit of my lips. Giving thanks to his name. I have learned in 20 years of serving God now. If I'm in the mully grubs or fighting depression. In fact, this past week, I told my wife. I came home one day. I said, you know what? If a shrink were to talk to me today, he would diagnose me as clinically depressed. So I got to go pray for a minute. I'll be back. And just shake it off. Everybody deals with depression. Just don't succumb to it. That's just heaviness gets on people. So you say, all right, sacrifice. 
Fruit of my lips, giving thanks to his name. I've learned in fighting darkness for 20 years. All I have to stop when I'm warm. Because we all get into this self-pity thing. Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. It's so hard in this world. It's so much harder than the people in ISIS territory. I just have it so rough. I mean, never mind my car and my job and my income and the fact that I need to lose weight and I have plenty to eat. Forget the fact that, forget, it's so hard. What cuts through that malarkey really quick is, Father, thank you that I'm not going to hell. I thank you that I'm saved, that you love me, you bought me, you haven't forgotten me. Uh, my name's written in the book of life. You number all my hairs. Uh, even birds die, and you know them. How much more do you know me? You know all the names of all the stars, and you know me. That dries up that junk pretty quick. But you have to open your mouth to do that. Thanksgiving is also a sacrifice we can offer up. Thanksgiving is instant fruit in our lives. So again, there's much to be said on both petitions, supplications, and giving of thanks. And we don't, we don't have time to cover it, but if, if nothing else out of this Sunday school, I want you to get this. God wants you to come and make your requests known unto him because you have not if you ask not. And then at the same time, make sure you are always thankful. Thank God. Thanks, I would almost say thankfulness is the quickest way to beat any kind of darkness. Darkness is nothing but you just turning on yourself. And so stop. we got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. It, it's just shameful. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and be thankful. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school and for the pod school lessons these will become. Bless the listeners and all those that hear this, Father, in the future. And bless the, uh, the propagation of these teachings on prayer. Bless the word of God. And may we become more and more men and women of prayer that use these tools you give us to change the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.